Presentation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hello, my name is Elizabeth Thomas and welcome to another episode of the Bible Unmasked. This is episode 12 and we are doing a Bible study through the entire Bible this year of 2021 and we are so glad you joined us again for another episode. Um, Bible Unmasked is airing every Sunday night at 7.30 on our YouTube channel and on PlantationSDA.tv. We invite you to um, read with us, to invite your family or friends um, to join in. And every week you can text in questions that are answered by our knowledgeable pastors on our um, team here. And those questions can be um, texted to 954-388-8780. And I will give that number again to you later at the end. Um, the reading plan is also um, the what is to be read for the week is shared always on our Sabbath service and on social media every week. Please subscribe to our channel on YouTube also so that you will get notifications of that. Okay, so last week we had um, our wonderful Pastor Jen who was speaking and she did Judges 8 to Joshua 8, sorry, to Judges verse 3. And here with us today, though, is our um, Pastor Dexter Thomas. Okay. And beloved. We, yes, our beloved. beloved. And we want to welcome you and thank, thank you, you for joining with us. Before we continue on, let's have a prayer. Father in heaven, we invite your presence now as we are studying your word and as we are discussing it. May you guide us, give us wisdom, and give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Yes. So, um, Pastor Dexter, can you share with us then last um, week, Joshua 8 yeah, some Judges takeaways. 3? Can you I, share a little yeah, bit about that? I, I think um, Pastor Jen had uh, an interesting um, portion of scripture to really break open to us and you know Joshua with so many conquest narratives you know which was an issue that would have that that came up you know so much bloodshed and killing um, but what, what I like is the book of Joshua basically teaches us how to grow our grit through grunt work God has already given you the promise it's yours now, how do you go own it? How do you claim it? How do you walk in it? And that's what Joshua does for us. And I, I thank God for the ministries of these amazing pastors that walk us through the word every week. Great. Okay, so today we're going to be diving into Judges 4 to 21. So can All the way you, to the end. Yes, can you give us an overview of oh, that yeah. before this, we get into This questions? is one of the most raunchiest, rotten books in all of the Bible. You see human brokenness in full display. Um, you see hard-heartedness, stubbornness, but amidst all of it, you see the relentless, scandalous um, grace of God. You, you know, God. One time they said Jesus is the hound of heaven. 
you know, he keeps chasing after us. And you see that amazing grace in the book of Judges more than probably in any other book in, in scripture. Because by now, Liz, we would have written these jokers off, but not God, not God in the book of Judges. Okay, good. Okay, so it's called the book of Judges. What did it mean to be a judge in the context of the book of Judges? Was, was it to be a judge as we know it today? Good question. So, so let's, let's begin. The, 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 the period of the book of Judges is generally right before the king. So it's after the reign of Joshua and before the kings. And these, this era is, is one of the most nomadic era. That's not a right word, but wandering era. It's like they're in the wilderness, but they no longer have God guiding them. And uh, one of the, the phrases that keeps running through the book is everyone did which was right in his own eyes. In other words, the Torah didn't guide them. The prophet didn't guide them. Their own feelings guided them. Hardly their consciences, their feelings um, so it, it was a dangerous period. They could have self-destructed as a people. And again, somehow the preserving grace of God held them, kept them, continually brought them back. So it's a story of miracle, miracle of God's love to keep bringing us back to himself. Now, a judge is not someone that deliberates in a court in the case of the judges, even though they did some of that. But the judge, in, in a sense, was mainly like their prime minister. There's the person that, that, that served in one sense as the prophet. The difference with the prophet and the priest is the prophet spoke to God for the people, while the priest spoke to the people for God. Um, the judges, like I said, more served as their president, their prime minister, um, it, it is someone that, that they somewhat elected in a sense, or they saw God as raising up that they allowed to lead them. Okay. Let's go to Judges 4, verse 4. Deborah, the wife of Labadoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. Question is, up to this point, women in the Bible were marginalized. Does the appointment of Deborah as prophet and judge mark a turning point in the Bible? Right. Marginalized is a pretty strong word. Um, overall, you have 40 Bible authors, all of them basically men. Um, and they, they were in a very chauvinistic culture. So a lot of times when you read the Bible, you have to make sure that their cultural biases, that you're not thinking that that is God's word. What God did, God wrote his word through broken people, which makes the Bible such an interesting um, piece of literature, as it were. But it's not a, just a piece of literature, but it's, it's such a moving, powerful, living document. But God used broken, messed up, jacked up lives to portray his truth. But you have to be careful as you're reading, because a lot of these Bible authors, they saw women in a very negative light. Um, the Me Too movement, all of these Bible authors, a lot of them would just be in prison, straight up. You know, they did not have a healthy view of women. Women were thingified. They were objects. They were hardly equals. However, however, 
when you read the Bible, there are a couple of women, man, they call the shots. Like Sarah, who is the one that came up with the idea for Hagar? That wasn't Abraham's idea. He almost didn't have a say. And yet still the Bible said he commanded his house after him. I'm like, wow, what a way to command your house when Sarah was calling so much shots. In fact, Sarah is the one that came and said to Abraham, look, get rid of her. And Abraham is like, well, she's in your charge, you know? So, so you, so that's why I say marginalized is a pretty strong word. W women did, did still, even though they lived in a very, um, chauvinistic driven culture, even though they were, um, they were seen as less than they weren't equal, but a lot of women carried a lot of weight and power. Um, there was a prophetess also, Hulda, you know, so in, in, in the Kings, but this is that that's afterwards. Right. Um, but Deborah, I wouldn't say it was a turning point. It was more an acceleration than a turning point. That's a long way to answer your question, but I hope you got it on my cultural um, context. Right. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Judges 421 tells us, but when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and pent Bang! tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. Can killing be justified? <laughs> if it's a rotten, good-for-nothing man like Sisera. Uh, <laughs> well, no. Listen, again, God works through our weaknesses, through our brokenness, through our culture, right? And if you notice, a lot of the human ills and evils were not eradicated because of christianity i mean paul didn't tell them why don't we eradicate slavery you know in fact he told the slaves you kind of learn to behave yourself so that the gospel could be preached and you, you look at stuff like this like is the bible then um affirming injustice and unfairness no god is working with what we have chosen to live under how we have decided to govern our own broken lives in fact, the salvation story, Sister Liz, mm -hmm. is God saving us in enemy territory. Our, 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 our life, we were supposed to born, die, and go straight to hell. Everlasting, eternal separation from God. Jesus broke that. So the fact that we become Christians, it's beyond a miracle. It's the mystery of godliness, as it were. Because we are being, we are godly even though we are born with sinful natures, evil tendencies, God still finds a way to rescue us. And that's what you read in the Bible. That's what you read in Judges. It's God interacting, saving, rescuing, delivering us with our broken natures and within our broken context. So no, killing is never God's ideal. But this is the wild, wild west. Is either you killed or be killed. And, and God worked within their context. I, I hope this is answering your question, viewers. Okay, Judges 5, verse 30. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man a girl or two? For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. So the question is, one of the sentences of Deborah and Barak's song reads, to every man, a girl or two. Doesn't that sound horrible? Fem yeah, of course. And it's terrible. But again, it's, it's their culture. And it's their culture. And for them, this was the norm. 
They didn't see it as evil, unjust, or ungodly. And it, again, their culture doesn't mean that it's God's ideal or God's desire for humanity. Really, really want you, I want to hammer home that point and make that clear. But it's the same question I'm answering. Right. So it's really, we're seeing a lot of rawness here. There's yeah. never, nothing is covered no. up. This is the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And God yeah. is breaking through all of that. Working still, yeah. still saving people in all this mess. Right. Yeah. And, and look at that we just read. Where, where two women for one guy mm -hmm. as, as, a, as a present, right? They were bragging about that. And this is under Deborah, mm -hmm. a woman leading them. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's go to Judges 6, verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff in his hand. And the fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. Why the, um, why there's still angels among us? If so, how do we recognize them? Yeah, if there's angels among us. So this is the story of Gideon. He is hiding um, to plant his stuff because the Midians, Midians, um, they, were, they were just burning the fields and so on and crushing their crops. He's hiding and, and, and God shows up to him, calling him man of strength, man of favor he looks around he's like dude you're talking to someone else right um and, and your question is does god still show up as angels there's still so many miraculous stories of people who got rescued from accidents and they turned around and the person was no longer there um so you you still definitely still have god showing his appearances and what's amazing let me just um add a little bit to this is that every time, every time God showed up, they would say, I have seen God and I live. Mm -hmm. I've seen God and I live. Because a lot of times the angel of the Lord and judges was actually Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. This was the I am that spoke with Moses. So their fear was seeing him meant that they, we would die. Mm -hmm. and, and it's amazing that God, again, kept, kept coming to intervene in these broken, ill, ugly situations, just to rescue and save his people. This is a God of hope we're seeing in the book of Judges. Right. Um, I actually have a story, if you don't mind me sharing. A friend of mine, she had a really bad car accident and she actually hit somebody and she was devastated. And the person was fine in the end, but um, at that moment, there was somebody who came and um, was comforting her and talking to her and that. And then they she turned around they were suddenly gone and for her she believes that was an angel and so you know who knows if it really was but um you know i think it is that there are yeah, yeah. there are those um stories they, of that they, being they, there they still manifest they still yeah. manifest and, and to be honest um Miss, mrs mrs elizabeth yes if if our eyes could be open auntie ellen shares this concept mm -hmm. we would be on with faint to death sometimes. Right. There are demons also that are constantly trying to harass us, trying to kill us, trying to trip us, trying to cause accidents. The angels of the Lord is constantly protecting us. And the demons are outnumbered, right? They're two to one, right? We read that. Right. The enemy only got a third. In fact, if you read 2 Kings chapter 6, in 2 Kings chapter 6, they, they, they sent people to capture Elisha, right? And his servant is panicking, right? And Elisha wakes up. He's, you know, he's easy like Sunday morning. 
and the servant is like dude you're tripping man they, they look at look they're surrounding us they're trying to kill us and elisha just prayed a calm prayer lord open his eyes open his eyes and his eyes were open the bible says and he saw the chariots of the lord angels surrounding the mountain and he realized that the enemy was totally outnumbered and we we as believers that walk by faith and not by physical sight mm -hmm. we walk with that assurance mm -hmm. that when we are with god we are in the majority that's encouraging Okay, let's go to um, Judges 6, 36 to 38. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Mm. The question, should we still ask God for signs? Aye, aye, aye. Good question. <laughs> I want to hear this answer. Yeah, because the, the, the signs thing is an interesting thing. I've heard so many people say, well, if you ask for signs, ask it in your head because the devil will hear you and the devil will give a sign. We make the devil so much more powerful than God at times. Why can't God stop the devil right. from giving the sign, even if you ask out loud? Mm -hmm. You know, um, let, me, let me say this though. Asking for signs should not be your primary mode of connecting with God. What God wants is a relationship with you where you are used to his voice where you can, where he can just talk to you and tell you, that's what God wants. You know, I, I remember I was at a place in my prayer life and I've, you know, I've kind of slipped back where I, I would, I would, I, I challenged myself. I said, God, I'm going to stay here in prayer. I'm going to be quiet and I'm only going to move when I hear you. You know, I'm, I'm sick of just having God talk to people in the Bible. Why can't I hear his voice also? Why can't, you know, and I, I want, that's what God wants for us a deep hunger, a deep closeness where we hear him. So signs should never be your go-to space. So it, it should never be where you split the Bible and whatever it falls on, that's God's guidance for you. That, that kind of, it's almost like being a lover of horoscopes and you don't want that. You don't want that. You want God more than the signs that he presents. Having said that, having said that, when you're in prayer, you can, you can definitely tell God, you know, you're struggling, you need direction from him, send you a sign. And you do that how, how your heart desires, but that shouldn't be your go-to place. But let me, let me tell you, Gideon, remember where Gideon was. Gideon was totally discouraged. Gideon was totally in unbelief that God could use such a broken, useless. I mean, he was from the least tribe, the least family in the tribe. And he saw himself as the least. And here is God telling him, I want you to lead my people. God, that's a joke. You're not serious, right? That was Gideon's thing. You can't ask me to lead. So he really needed to hear that this was really God. Even though he saw the angel of the Lord, he was still so unbelieving. But let me tell you what God did. You know, notice he asked for two signs, right? Because he did that. He did if the fleece is dry then let it be wet. Then he says, well, I'm going to wet the fleece and let everything be dry. So he kind of flipped it that still wasn't enough for him mm -hmm. because of and god knew how how much how low down he was in discouragement 
And God meets us where we are. And remember Thomas? Thomas is like, I need to touch you. I, I need to stick my hands in you. And Jesus could have just chastised him. You know, but no, it's Jesus that do it. But better is those who, who don't need to touch, who don't need to see and still believe, right? But, but here's, another, here's another way God encouraged Gideon and confirmed that he was truly leading him and victory would have been his. So Gideon probably didn't have the, the, the guts to ask for more signs after those two. But this is what God did. God took him down to the tent. So Gideon was really discouraged, you know, I mean, he felt like a nobody. And, and then here is God now telling him, I want you to lead my people, right? So even though he got those two signs, the fleece wet, the fleece dry, the ground wet, the ground dry, he wanted more, but he probably didn't have the guts to say he wanted more. This is what God did. God said, look, go down by the tent. You take your boy, go down by the, t by the tent of the enemy. Now, now think about this family. This is how the Bible is so rich and beautiful, man. He gets to a certain part of the tent. It's like over 100,000 men encamped. The place in the tent where Gideon gets to outside, in the middle of the night, one of the guys has a dream that, that, that the loaf of bread knocks over the, the, the tent of them. And his friend interprets the dream and says, look, that's the sword of Gideon. This is from the enemy. This is random. This is, this is, I mean, he just chose the right part of the tent. And God speaks through the enemy's dream, letting Gideon know that he has been handpicked by Jehovah to do this awesome work. And one of the questions that's going to come up in, in your questioning is about God giving dreams to heathens. Of course he does. Didn't you read about Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar? Of course he does. We, we, now again, family, we don't have a monopoly on God. He reigns and shines on the just and the unjust. You go ask Matthew 5, 46 and to 48. That's what God does. God yearns to save all of us, whether we know him or not. And what dreams do, dreams is another way in which people could do the signs thing mm -hmm. too much. In fact, in Trinidad, um, they, have a, they have like a form of lottery. Uh, and all of our countries, if, if you're from the island, we call it something different, right? But, but they had these, these little things that you would bet on, you'd put, place gamble money on, and it was like one to 36, and each one had, a, had a, like an animal symbol. One was centipede, and two was old lady, and three was carriage, and four was dead man, and so on, up to 36. And if you dreamt anything similar to any of those symbols, people would say, hey, what do you dream? I'm going to put $20 on that. So they kind of made a mockery of dreaming. But dreams, I think, come for a couple of reasons. One is... Satan is trying to disturb you and create unrest in your soul as like nightmares. But dreams also comes because God wants to warn you about what's going to take place in your life or in the life of a friend or in the country. And dreams also comes so that you can know how to pray. Whether it's the enemy trying to torment you or God is giving you a warning, you know how to pray. God wants us to pray and break evils that's trying to trying to bind us and harm us. That's the power of, of dreams. That's why he gave us the dreams. But we also know how to pray because sometimes you dream your anxieties and God is like, pray it out, right? Sorry, I'm going on and on. Next question. Okay, let's go to Judges 7, 13 to 14. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. 
The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, Your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Right, so don't worry about the question, because right, we already answered answer it. That. But Sorry. here's the deal with that, though. Here's what's nice about you reading it. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy you did. Notice it said that he crept up right when the guy was telling the dream. Mm. You talk about a God moment. You talk about God's providential leadings. Gideon had no more questions whether God had called him after that. Mm. So he, he was at the right part of the tent, 100,000 people. He was at the right part of the tent and at the right time when this, when this cat had a dream. And God does that for us. And if you look back in your life, one of the reasons I love journaling and prayer journaling is I get to capture my major turning points and teachable moments. You know, so I, I see where God has led. We have nothing to fear, says Auntie Ellen. We have nothing to fear for the future, except we forget where God has led and helped us in our past history. Right. Right? Um, all of us have these moments where God led you, where he guided you. And sometimes you depend on that in your times of discouragement or where you feel um, directionless. That's not a word, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> you look back and say, well, he led in this way again. He can do it again. Right. Okay. Judges 8, 5 to 9. When they reached Succoth, Gideon asked the leaders of the town, please give my warriors some food. They are very tired. I am chasing Zebah and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Succoth replied, catch Zebah and Zalmunna first, and then we will feed your army. So Gideon said, after the Lord gives me victory over Zebah and Zalmunna, I will return and tear your flesh with the thorns and briars from the wilderness. Yikes. From there, Gideon went up to Penel and again asked for food, but he got the same answer. So he said to the people of Penel, After I return in victory, I will tear down this tower. Should Christians seek vengeance? Yeah, some of us like the 11th commandment. Do unto others before they do unto you. Mm -hmm. So the, the answer is no. But again, family, I cannot tell you how much I treasure the raw authenticity of the Bible and especially the book of Judges. Like you said earlier, Liz, no holding back. Mm -hmm. This thing is raw and runchy. I'm like, man, I can't even have my kid read Judges until she's like 10. Yeah. You know, this is like X-rated stuff. This is not PG-13. Um, but again, it's God showing us how he works through human foibles and sinfulness to still save us in spite of ourselves. Gideon had issues, man. I mean, why would you be hung up on all this revenge stuff? Dude had issues, even though God was using him that mightily. Not only that, you'd read later on in, in, in Judges, he told everybody to give me your earrings, give me your jewelry. No, not to build a sanctuary for God, but to create an, an image of himself, which, which was a snare and caused the people to, 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 to get into idolatry. You know, so in, in a lot of ways, he rescued them, but he led them into a lot of evil also. But it, again, it highlights that God could use broken people. He's not afraid to use us. But please, if you're not careful, your brokenness is still going to destroy you if you don't surrender it to God. Right. So I hope that answers your, the question. 
and, and I, I, I want to break in with my famous ad, and I know Edward Toby, he's going to put it on the screen. Uh -huh. But y'all remember, I have a free devotional where I study the entire Bible using motivational practical themes. I want you to get it. You go to innovativeoutreach.com. In fact, the book of Judges, the theme for Judges I used is, is um, um, what was it? breaking cycles of broken behavior because throughout the book they are screwed up people and god is constantly wanting to to, to break their cultivated and learned tendencies um to, to do evil right so when you read my my devotional discovering hope in 66 places which you could subscribe to for free free subscription on innovativeoutreach.com i give a theme for all of the book of the bible like liz and i one time we were doing our will and the theme i chose was second timothy um final advice before you die where paul is a you know he knows this is his last letter and we're reading it we're writing our will we're, we're we're young and okay okay how do you prepare to leave a legacy how do you want to be remembered and we're asking paul's letter to guide us so you want to get my book discovering hope in 66 places it's free innovativeoutreach.com Judges, let's get back to business. Okay. Thank you for the commercial break, everybody. <laughs> okay, let's go to Judges 9, verse 18. But today you have revolted against my father and his descendants, killing his 70 sons on one stone. And you have chosen his slave's woman's son, Abimelech, to be your king just because he is your relative. Should descendants of slaves be treated differently because they are less valuable? Wow, 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 wow. I like all these social justice-oriented questions, mm -hmm. right? So the answer is no. But again, in their culture, in their culture, the answer was yes. Right. However, you do see Abimelech, right, was the concubine's son, which they saw as a harlot. But in spite of that god used them he was able to lead the people he had victories on their behalf so you don't be limited by your limitations god is bigger than your struggles i, I know cassandra told us we shouldn't be preaching so i apologize for that <laughs> uh, but this is good stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> encouraging okay judges 9 verse 57 and all the evil of the men of Sheshem, God returned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Do curses get fulfilled? If someone cursed me, should I fear that it will come true? The answer is yes, especially if you're living an unrepentant, don't care, disobedient life. You hear about generational curses? Generational curses are broken through obedience. They're not broken by you just saying, I rebuke this curse and, you know, um, Lord, break this curse. That's good. That's good to pray affirmations over your life, to pray this, the, 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 the spirit of, of um, godliness and righteousness and the spirit of protection from every evil. Um, you pray that in your life. My father, you all know my story, man. Dude had 15 children. His favorite chorus was sowing the precious seeds. You know, his favorite process was be fruitful and multiply and replenish the face of the earth. And people were like, man, brother, could other people help replenish the earth? So he, he lived, he lived a, a really whoremongering life. And I, my prayer was, God, I don't want to live that life. He, he died. Um, he died 
an illiterate at 62. He couldn't read or write, you know. And, and I, I, so God broke that curse by me prayerfully deciding to live a pure life. God broke that curse as I decided to strive for my education, you know, um, with refusing to stop until I got a doctorate. You know, so curses are broken through obedience and curses are broken through better decisions. And through prayer. And prayer. <laughs> I was pray. say, Thank okay, you. If you've been cursed, then pray, 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 pray. Yeah. Yes, correct. <laughs> okay. Um, let's go to Judges 10, 13 to 14. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Why would God be so harsh to Israel and then change his mind? Yeah, because I don't have the proper word. I think it's anthropomorphize. I'm probably making up that word also. But what the Bible does, the Bible humanizes God. The Bible, God steps down into our realm, into our emotional experiences and almost become, becomes like us, right? Um, moved with emotions, inflamed with passions. So God gets angry, um, but he holds on his anger forever. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing. God is saying, I can be persuaded. I can be spoken to. I can change my mind. That's what you're seeing there in Judges chapter 10. Good question, questioner. Yes. <laughs> okay, Judges 11.35. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out. You have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Yeah, I remember. Sorry, question. Yes, question. That was cruel. Why couldn't he take his vow book back? Wouldn't have God understood? Yeah. I remember reading about, this is Jephthah, everybody, um, in Judges 11, where, you know, he was so grateful or he was so excited for God to lead him into battle and win. And he said, Lord, the first thing that comes to my door, I'm going to offer it to you. And he thought his dog would have come, you know, killing his pets, Liz, um, <laughs> thought his dog would have come. So like, yeah, I could give that. It, it kind of reminds me of the old story we would tell growing up um, ab about the, the lady who, who um, saw this really cute guy every Sabbath morning. He'll sit on the second row. And she, she came to church early and she said, Lord, whoever comes and sit on the second row, I am praying that that would be my husband. Oh, boy. <laughs> it so happened that that day the guy didn't come to church. But his 85-year-old grandfather came. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think she changed her mind. She's like, Lord, I'm good. Yeah. I'm all right. I take a vow of chastity and singleness. So, so it, it shows the, 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 um, the silliness sometimes of making vows. Um, and I remember the quarterly saying, no, Jephthah should have said, no, God, I, I messed up. You know, so he could have pulled out from it. Um, but I guess, again, I don't want to blame everything on culture, but really when you vowed, your vow became your lifelong oath. And just to clarify, the other question someone asked, which I just skipped over because I knew I would answer it, is did his daughter die? The passage is pretty ambiguous. Uh, it could be that death for her meant she could marry. 
which is why she said she's going to go roam the mountains for three months and mourn her virginity uh, and mourn, you know, um, with, with her fellow virgins. So it could mean that. Um, but it's, it's not a really clear and plain passage. Consult with the scholars and your commentary, please. Okay. Let's go to Judges 13 now, uh, 3 and verse 4. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give, and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. Was Manoah's wife forbidden from drinking wine out of health concerns similar to those that exist for pregnant women today? Yeah, I think, and, and notice the verse said, I don't want to get in trouble, but this is where our, our church kind of um, goes beyond scripture, which makes us look foolish. But notice the verse says, it, it almost, it makes the request to them as if it's something that they did. Mm. Does that make sense? Or if it's something that they used to do or was okay doing, don't drink wine or strong drink, you know, don't do that. Um... I think it, it more had to do with the Nazarite vow than, than health. Um, and these were symbols of being, being um, separated for the cause of God. You know, the long hair and so on and so forth. And I want to answer a couple of questions that I ask you to skip just to save time because you all know I like to do my presentations like my height and my personality, short and sweet. Um, Samson, this is the mother of Samson, ended up visiting prostitutes. And people are like, oh, what a wretched, rotten leader he is. But notice Judah did the same thing in Genesis chapter 38. So again, again, I hate this cultural thing coming up. But that seemed to have been a norm for a lot of these men. You know, righteous or not, it seemed to have been something that they did. And the, the, the Bible, now again, remember, in a couple of sessions back, I warned you, don't create a theology or a belief out of God's silence. God's silence doesn't mean it's condoned. You know, but the Bible just, just told the story and kept moving. You know, but obviously it's, 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 it wasn't his wife like Adam had Eve. So it could not have been God's ideal. And the reason the Philistines or um, he was discouraged from marrying outside of Israel is, and, and you know, marriage is something I generally, I, I used to do like one or two marriages a year. And, you know, I would marry you even if you got pregnant before, you know, and you were serious and you were mature. And I could see that this marriage would work. But I would not marry you if you brought um, someone that wasn't Adventist. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't marry an unequally yoked person. Um, no, I'm not saying it's not going to work, but generally one out of 10,000 works. So you have the one-off people that got real fortunate, but generally any person that's, that's spiritually conscious about growing with Christ, you, marriage is already really hard. I mean, I love my wife. She is, she's one of the greatest gifts I've ever had. But oh, I'm boy. Glad to hear that. Very good, Pastor Dexter. Good to hear that. But boy, we have some struggles and we have ups and downs. And sometimes our communication is a mess. And we're both Adventists. We both believe the same way. We love God. We have very similar values. 
So a lot of times when you, when you, Adventism, especially more than other faiths, it's not a set of beliefs only, but it's a lifestyle. We eat differently. We worship on a whole different day altogether. So we're stigmatized because of that. So it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a, it's a faith that is lifestyle oriented. You marry outside of that, then, then you, you're giving yourself unnecessary burdens to fight. And so I, I, I refuse nobody, you know, I mean, one member came, she was dating an atheist boyfriend. I'm like, you're not serious. I mean, what do you, why would you even ask me? You know, I, I mean, I, the guy's nice. I like the guy. I don't think he's less than or anything, you know, but I, I will not participate in, in helping to seal your misery. A lot of people lose Christ because of, of marriages like these. So, don't be unequally yoked. That's what they were telling Mr. Samson. Okay. Okay, let's go to Judges 14.3. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Sam Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she, she pleases me well. well. Brother was whooped. Our last question is in Judges 19, 22 to 24. I'm going to read that for you. As they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, singing, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humbly that, humble them and do with them as you please, but to this man do not do such a vile thing. Whoa. Why did the good man that sheltered the guests purpose to give him the woman, women in the house to be mistreated instead of the man? Wow. Ooh, that's a loaded question. Oof. <laughs> so I, I want to answer a couple of things here because somebody asked about Micah's ephod in chapter 18, chapter 17 and 18 and, and, and them having a priest. Um, so in chapter 17, this guy by the name of Micah had an idol that he actually erected from stolen money from his mom, who okayed it afterwards. But what, what, what Judges, Judges 17 to 21 is like some of the worst chapters you'd ever read in all of the Bible. There is such debauchery. There is such um, abandonment of God and of good sense, you know. Um, so so they, Micah got a hired priest. That's how, that's how bad it had gotten. You know, he had a priest that he could just hire. So then when, when you jump into 19 to 21, the, the, the Bible is filled with, with repetitious, metaphoric language, which the scholars delve into and find a lot of meat in. This Judges 19 to 21 story is, especially what you just read, is very similar to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. Remember when, when they knocked on Lot's door right, yeah. and Lot said, no, I'll give you my virgin daughters. Right. I mean, what, what kind of father is that? Yeah. But again, but again, have mercy on me. Culture, culture, culture. In their culture, in fact, in fact, um, 
Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49 tells us that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality. The sin of Sodom was inhospitality. So inhospitality was up there as one of, in their minds, as some of the greatest sins, worse than homosexuality. And that is why you have the guy now willing to offer his daughter, which was not equal to a man, in their broken, twisted, ungodly cultural way of thinking, right? Which is why they were willing to do that. So that answers one of that question. Here's the other question now. And here's the other metaphoric, repetitious symbolism that's used. And, and, and so when you study now, you're trying to figure out why is the Bible repeating itself and what is it leading to? What statement is it making by repeating a similar story? Yeah? Is it debauchery it's trying to show? Is it trying to show that the people were on the brink of being annihilated by God? Or is it simply telling us that an annihilation is coming? The, 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 in the Jewish mind that understood those poetic, repetitious aspects, they would know what's coming. But poor us, <laughs> poor me especially. Here's another thing that's repeated. When, well not repeated, that is foreshadowed. When the guy takes his concubine after he didn't protect her, because again, it was just a concubine, right? It wasn't his wife. Mm-hmm. So again, there's this less than thing. He, he cuts her up in 12 pieces and sends parts to the, each tribe of Israel, right? That was his way of, of, of raising a revolt, calling the people to protest, the crowd against this evil. Right. Um, Saul did something similar in, in 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12, where, he, where, where the men of Jabesh was being threatened that the eyes is going to be cut out so Saul takes a bull and he cuts it into 12 pieces and he sends it to all the tribes of Israel calling them to war and Saul was a Benjamite mm-hmm. Benjamite just like this man was in Benjamin right, right? So, so stories keep repeating themselves um, and, and again this story is so much of it is unanswered and senseless because they prayed and they fasted and God said yeah go up go up and, and, and I'll give you victory against the Benjamites and they got slaughtered the men of Israel. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? But let me let me bring Judges to a close here by telling you. The book in all of the Bible is filled with more brokenness, heartbrokenness, more debauchery than probably any other book. And, and a lot of it, there's no commentary in terms of, you know, the Lord hated this. This was evil in the sight of the Lord. A lot of it is just, they just tell the raw ugly stories and my big takeaway from judges uh and like i said i I did it in my devotional discovering hope in 66 places which you can find on innovativeoutreach.com what i do with this is i talk about how do you break cycles of broken behavior all of us all of us have broken baggages all of us have triggers you know um default dysfunctions that we revert to when when um when we are triggered when we are tempted and what Judges teaches us more than ever is God is able to deliver in brokenness and from brokenness. And you want both of them from God. So I want you to leave Judges saying, God, I want not to repeat the evils of these Israelites, but I want deliverance from brokenness. Coming up next, Dr. Scholar McCoy, along with his elegant host, 
Miss is Smith. Yes, you're taking my job right now. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> You've done your job very well already. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Pastor Dexter Thomas, again, yes, for all your insights today. And we are um, encouraging you to read daily and for this next week to read Ruth 1 to 1 Samuel 18. What are they going to find in those? Just oh, briefly, my goodness. You all need to catch Ruth, man. That's. Talk about talk about determination. Talk about a heart for God, but but I want you to read Ruth, looking at the clues for how God is setting them up to bless them. Also, read Ruth and see what lessons you could learn for pivoting. We have lost a lot in this pandemic, like Ruth and Naomi did, but look how they still they made a change in their life and how they were blessed. And as you get into Samuel. As you get into Samuel, I want you to look at how God raised up this man um, from a woman that couldn't have children and how he led the people and how his heart was so sorrowful um, because he had to see them choosing a king, an earthly king instead of their heavenly king. Mm -hmm. Okay, and as you are reading those chapters, write down your questions and then text them please to us at 954 388-8780. Again, that's 954-388-8780. And we're looking forward to Pastor Kevin next week, on which will be airing Sunday night at 7.30 on our YouTube channel, which you want to subscribe to, or to plantationsda.tv. And so that is it, a wrap for us today. We want to thank you as our viewers for watching. Please continue to read with us and, and view our, our shows here every week and invite your family and friends to join with yes. us. And again, thank you, Pastor Dexter Thomas, yes, our beloved. Beloved. Pastor Dexter Thomas. Don't leave that up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and can you just close for us now with prayer? God and friend, amid our broken lives, we pray you would help us. You, you would help us to pick up the splinters, God, and the, and the broken pieces. Be the God that mends, the God that heals, and the God that delivers. In the name of our friend and the one who changed my life, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible and Past. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unmasked.